over the years I've seen in myself that I'm rather seasonal in how I approach my homeschool. In the summer, we're unschoolers. By September to maybe January, we are classical homeschoolers. January or February, we're getting kind of tired. Welcome slump month. And we're moving into how do we just child lead learn or allow for more self-directed learning? How do we do project-based learning or unit studies or anything that will buy the time until springtime? Now we're moving into the Charlotte Mason homeschool season. Or at least this has how it has been in our homeschool. The Charlotte Mason homeschool season is getting outside, accumulating your thousand hours outside with the kids, which wasn't a thing when it was homeschooling, but I think it's a super cool idea. You can go jump on the trampoline, sit at the pond with a magnifying glass, a poetry book, your sketching books, and draw or write poems and enjoy the great outdoors. I presently am moving into the spring retreat season myself, which means I'm helping homeschool moms retreat, renew, rejuvenate their homeschool lives. And it has been a whole lot of fun, which also means I'll be wrapping up this season, season five of the Homeschool Mama Self-Care podcast. Next week will be the final episode to the season dedicated to the real homeschool mom. I hope this past season has helped inspire, support, and encourage you in your homeschool mom journey so you can homeschool with more authenticity, confidence, and purpose, and encouraging you to nurture the nurturer all along the way. I believe that who you are, how you frame your life, understand your purpose, how you address your challenges, all of those things deeply influences your homeschool life. Here's what we've explored this past season in season five. How Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart book influences our homeschool. Five ways we can include self-compassion for homeschool moms using Kristen Neff's book, Self-Compassion. How Elizabeth Gilbert informs our homeschool life, teaching us about our own creativity. All about nurturing the nurturer using my book, Homeschool Mama Self-Care, Nurturing the Nurturer learning anything and everything about socialization in the homeschool family with Rachel Gathercole. We discuss seven freedom-loving ways John Taylor Gatto informs our homeschool, how Marie Forleo can help us know that we can do anything. We learn from Gordon Neufeld's book, Hold On To Our Kids. He reminds us that the most important thing is our relationship with our child. We discuss nonviolent communication and how it teaches us to communicate, to listen, and be heard. We learn how to be happier at home with Gretchen Rubin's book, Happier at Home. We discuss internal family systems and how that concept or modality can influence our homeschool lives because how you relate to yourself matters more than any other relationship. We have an interesting conversation with Amber O'Neill Johnston, the author of A Place to Belong. We discuss kinship, diversity, and inclusivity so we can build authentic community and connection. We chat with podcaster and working homeschool mom coach Charlotte Jones about how to show up for us and our homeschool kids. 
I share the 13 things mentally strong homeschool moms don't do using Amy Morin's book. We help you tackle your lack of confidence in teaching your kids to read with Sherry Jensen, a reading interventionist. And my very favorite episode of the season is interviewing my 2023 high school graduate. I get to share with you Rachel, our third daughter, how she experienced some of the benefits of homeschooling and some of the benefits of public schooling. And I get to send her off officially in front of all you homeschool mamas and all of your 2023 high school graduates too, with a special congratulations, a raised glass, and a toast to the future from Henry David Thoreau to go confidently in the direction of your dreams, live the life you've imagined. This has been a very interesting season, and I hope it has helped you be more authentic, confident, and purposeful in your homeschool journey. I love hearing from you about your experience of the podcast, and if you've been hanging out with me for a while, you can influence the content of the podcast topics, and I would most appreciate if you could also share a review. You could do both of those things at the same time in a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to this podcast. Recently, I heard from Britt about the podcast. She said, I loved your interview with Amber O'Neill Johnston. It was a beautiful, authentic conversation, and I'm so glad you went there because it's so needed and it's really not scary and divisive and threatening like some people believe. And you know I love hearing people talk about the power of personal stories. Awesome podcast episode. Thanks, Britt. I love your spirit, and I so appreciate you sharing these words with me and with everyone listening. That conversation really was powerful. And if you're interested in finding out what exactly I did to go there, you can check this podcast episode out on all the podcast players and also on my YouTube channel. Today, we're going to talk about seven ways to live your best life. When I began homeschooling, I was on a mission to give my kids the most individualized education I could provide and also give them everything I never had. Tall orders. Kind of like ordering a caramel frappuccino quarter sweet with whip, but not milk whip, just oat whip with sprinkles, but only sprinkles on the left side. And I'll take that in a cup, but no name on the cup, just my initials. Oh, and make it half hot. Tall orders, but I sure tried. There are seven ways that I've learned I can live my best homeschool mom life. The self-care for the homeschool mom I'm pointing at right now is me. But tell me if any of these might apply to you too. Naturally, I learned a few things as I tried to serve up that perfectly decadent drink to my homeschool family. The first thing that I learned, I learned... I had wildly unrealistic expectations, especially around how much I could get done in a day. Therefore, I had a hard time getting anywhere on time. I didn't have a natural ability to get myself and my four kids anywhere before three in the afternoon because I had 62 things still to do that needed me to accomplish them that day. I could hardly believe that just a few years prior, I had been able to get two kids out of the door to their private school before eight in the morning. How did I even do that? 
well, you should know that I always did that without a clean kitchen. Mostly the kids were dressed in clean clothes and there was a lot of toast eaten in the car. Well, this inability to manage my time and the unrealistic expectations I had each day made my experience of homeschooling unhappy making more than it needed to. I felt stressed every time I left the house and it wasn't because I was worried if the kids were in clean pajamas or whether they were bringing the right instrument to their music practices because those things didn't dawn on me. Straight up, I just felt overwhelmed by the expectations to do all the things and get all the things done, even if they were my expectations and on my self-prescribed list. I learned that when we clarify how much time we have in a day, when we get clear on how much time activities will really take, and when we create margins to address unexpected events, because there were always unexpected events, I would feel more at ease with the time I had and use it on purpose. By the way, you can use the time audit that I used to address my unrealistic expectations. You can find that time audit on the post to this podcast episode on my website, capturingthecharmedlife.com. The second thing that I learned to live my best homeschool mom life Self-care for the homeschool mom means I needed to take time away. One homeschool day after our morning read aloud, I rolled my chair back and forth between three little girls doing their cursive, their math workbooks and spelling pages. My toddler was mostly satisfied, temporarily strapped into his high chair with a bowl of Cheerios, tossing them off the side until he needed more. And he made sure I knew when he needed more. I was not okay inside. I felt overwhelmed. If only I could have had a break, a little quiet, to sequester myself in the corner chair of my bedroom, pull out the box of Italian cookies that were hidden under my cushion, scroll Pinterest for a few mindless minutes. I needed to be alone. And I needed to do it regularly. I needed a breather. Of course I wanted to be with my children. That's why I was doing what I was doing, but I also needed to be quietly alone at times too. When I could take those rare moments away, even when I was just at the grocery store by myself in the early years, I could return after an hour and feel a whole lot more present with my kids. So I ask you, where can you fit in maybe 15 minutes maybe an hour once a week to leave your home to get away. The third thing that I learned to be my best self and live my best life as a homeschool mom, I learned I had to build boundaries for my homeschool and my life. I've been a mother for over 22 years now. Wow. But not until my oldest daughter was three did I even begin to build boundaries? Building boundaries enable me to spend more time considering myself and encourage me to become more me. Because I say this often to many women, I say boundaries isn't just about saying no to something. 
it is maybe the first step in building boundaries is saying no to something or someone, but it's also saying yes to me. Before I built boundaries, I spent too much time thinking about what other people thought about me or my homeschool. Too much time knowing that I needed time alone, but not getting it. Too much time sitting on Facebook when I should have been eyeball to eyeball with my kids. Recognizing that I needed time spent developing my interests, but not sure if I'd have to wait a couple decades to do it. Spending more time doing extracurriculars than I wanted because I assumed that this was the right way to homeschool, which you know what I know, you can spend all your time doing extracurriculars and never being at home at all. Also giving away my time to meaningful things, but not the most important things. Creating three-point essays in my head in response to unsupportive questions about my homeschool choice, but they were in my head or on my blog, but they were most definitely not spoken in the moment when I wished I had shared them in response to someone's unsupportive questions. Feeling exhausted by conflict and dissonance with my partner. Knowing I wasn't showing up as I wanted with my kids, but I wasn't sure how to crack that code. Feeling ashamed of how reactive I was with my kids and wondering if my kids were mistreating me at times, but I couldn't determine if that was just them being kids. The process to building boundaries was messy, really, really messy. As you can imagine, because every relationship I engaged in, every activity I chose, and every mindset I assumed needed to be dissected. Am I really me in these relationships or these activities and these mindsets? I would learn that I wasn't the fullness of me. I didn't even know who I was, except for someone who was quite repeatedly thinking defensively. And though it was terribly uncomfortable, it was even scary at certain moments with certain relationships, it began a domino drop of false identity and false self. Let me explain. I learned I had to own who I was and why I was on the planet. I had to own how I was speaking to myself, how I spoke to others, and how I expected others to speak to me. And with a lot of work of the interior, I have come home to me. The ultimate self-care for the homeschool mom, wouldn't you say? From that time on, I have been drawn to authenticity, freedom, and purpose. Boundaries and self-compassion have required me to assess my relationship with others, but most importantly, my relationship with myself. I've learned that building and firming boundaries has clarified my identity. That building and firming boundaries decreases my reactivity. I've learned that building and firming boundaries gets me clearer on my purpose and that I simply cannot be everyone for everybody, not even to my kids all the time. But I am most of the time fully me. 
I discovered that building and firming boundaries was a long-term process with many zigs and zags along the way, but every step brought me closer to me. And now I know I've come home to me. If this process sounds like something you've either been tackling or you want to get more clarity in for yourself, you can grab my building boundary checklist that you'll also find on this post on my website, Capturing the Charmed Life. The fourth thing that I learned is I had to build self-awareness strategies into my days so I could address my big emotions. Journaling is a profound self-awareness strategy. It's a powerful tool for understanding ourselves as we sit and listen to our uncomfortable feelings. I've been journaling since I was about six or seven. If you've been around, you've heard my story, but I bought my very first purchase ever was a little green locked journal, which I still own. Nothing inspiring about what I wrote in those first few years. I woke up, I made my bed, I brushed my teeth. Those were the things I wrote on repeat. I might have shared where I went shopping with my mom or what we did together as a family or how I played with the kids outside. Nothing inspiring, but over the course of time, I've learned that journaling builds into me a self-awareness technique. I learn about me. I learn about why I feel the way I feel, why I experience uncomfortable emotions as I do. You can journal in several ways as a homeschool mom too. Consider these five ways. You can journal to record and compile a memoir of stories at the end of your homeschool years about what you did with the kids. I certainly did this. It's called my uh, website. (laughs) You can have a record of the exhausting first parenting years and all those memories. I did that too. I mean, because if you can't sleep, you might as well write. And P.S. If you happen to be one of those moms who's presently in the first parenting year of one of your kiddos' lives, my heart goes out to you. You really will sleep again. Keeping a record of read-alouds that you read with your kids. Those read-alouds will remind you of the days where kids are playing at your feet with Legos, or when you brought that book to your New York City trip, or when you read the first page of a few books so the kids could decide which book they should read together next. You could also journal in your daytimer the days you did science experiments that molded on your kitchen counter, warning your partner that you better not use everything found in the kitchen for the stew. Funny moments you won't want to forget, but you will if you don't write them down. You can journal through photos that will jam your iCloud, and you'll be grateful you did, because over the course of three months, you'll have discovered that your 11-year-old son will have sprouted two feet, and childhood may soon be coming to an end. Over the years, one of the most profound benefits of journaling big emotions is that you will come to understand your emotional climate. Whenever you're feeling triggered or intense, because (laughs) that'll happen a couple times, you can head to your journal and do an emotion dump. First, take a deep, slow breath and ask yourself, What are the various feelings I'm experiencing right now? The energy in motion in your body. Where are you feeling that energy in motion? Why do you feel what you feel? And then you can tell yourself, it's okay that you're feeling what you're feeling. 
Your goal is to accept all your feelings. Be gracious with yourself and don't judge your feelings as good or bad. Rather, observe them instead. Feelings just are. Humans have all sorts of feelings. And even though you are, of course, a superhuman because, you know, you're a homeschool mom, but you're still human. You are a human and you occasionally feel disappointed, disgusted, overwhelmed, sad, frustrated. You feel contempt or glee, elated, and a whole lot of other feelings too. Recognize that feelings will, though, pass like clouds in the sky. They don't stay static. Typically, research says that a feeling will not last more than 90 seconds. So all we must do is learn to manage that one 90-second intense feeling. We can usually bear feeling most things for one minute and 30 seconds, if we know it'll just be one minute and 30 seconds. Stay with the feeling and breathe, slowly. Breathe in for four beats. Hold for four beats. Breathe out for four beats. Hold for four beats. And do that two more times. Allow the feeling to just be until it leaves or until it passes with less intensity. When you spend enough time assessing your emotional climate, you will get clearer on how to address your emotional triggers. Ask me how I know. Sometimes we have not allowed ourselves to feel emotions because others have not taught us to hold safe space for our emotions. Because we haven't learned to be with them ourselves, we must learn to do this for ourselves. And since you have a child or two or 12, suddenly you realize that you have more than your own feelings to hold a safe space for. There are a whole lot of feelings to hold. You might be thinking this is difficult. (laughs) This is as difficult as it sounds in the beginning. And it doesn't disappear in difficulty. It just gradually lessens because you become habitual about how you approach things. Because you haven't practiced doing this for yourself though, How will you do it for your kids? You can. Ask me how I know. But you got to start with you. However you engage your own emotions is how you'll engage theirs. When you have a moment of frustration with a child and when you have a chance to discuss it with someone objective, someone that genuinely wants you to work through your frustration and make you feel heard and seen and witnessed, Well, that person won't magically swipe the discomfort or frustration away. They simply witness your challenge, your issue, your moment. But you'll gain clarity to engage in the next step just because you're seen, just because you're heard. By allowing yourself to be witnessed, clarity rises. This is what you can practice for yourself too. see yourself. Listen to yourself and witness yourself. You can do this in a few ways. You can speak to your journal, aka write your stories as you're feeling them in your journal. Or you can head to the mirror and speak to yourself as though your friend is standing sad or frustrated in front of you. Trust me on this, it really works. You can speak with me and I'll hold space for your needs and concerns, make you feel seen 
through reflective listening, and together we can create a plan to address your challenges. And you can use the Big Emotions Audit to get clearer on your triggers, frustrations, and big emotions. We've developed an emotional climate over our lifetimes, and we've become intimately familiar with our certain feelings under certain circumstances. So familiar that we take them for granted, probably assuming that everyone would feel what we're feeling under these circumstances. But tis not true. We are all different. We all have different patterns. We all have different default settings. But if these default settings, these big emotions you've been experiencing and you don't have clarity on them, you don't have a plan for them, well, girlfriend, those patterns don't have to continue. If you want to address your triggers, frustrations, and big emotions, you can use the Big Emotions Audit, which you'll also find on this post at my website, Capturing the Charmed Life. The fifth thing I've learned to live my best life as a homeschool mom is that self-care for the homeschool mom means I don't need to homeschool alone. In the first few years of homeschooling, I had very few support people in my homeschool. Homeschooling was a new concept for my family, and some of my family was against it before I even discovered it. The person who supported my homeschool choice was a homeschool mama of five, whom I did not know previously. This homeschool mom managed a local curriculum lending library. Her name was Linda, and she is a proud homeschool mama of many grandkids at this point, who also for many years after she had grandkids was homeschooling her grandkids too. And so Linda and I didn't have the same kids. We didn't have the same number of kids. We didn't have the same educational approach. We didn't have the same framework for life. But my weekly visits to her home were gold. She imparted random nuggets of wisdom and encouragement that I just did not have. And I really needed clarity and confidence. I've learned that I have not been the only homeschool mama without support. So I now offer support and community to homeschool moms. And if you're looking for that kind of support and community, you're welcome to join me in the Homeschool Mama Patreon support group. We get together to chat, connect, and share real stuff from our real homeschool lives. This can be a time just to get to know each other, talk about our homeschool stuff, or talk about the inner work required to show up on purpose in our homeschools. In the support group, by the way, you can access discounts on group coaching courses and one-on-one -on -one sessions. Above all, you get an authentic, meaningful connection and coaching to shed what's not working so you can live authentically, confidently, and purposefully. If this strikes you as something you might need, you're welcome to join me. The sixth thing that I've learned to live my best homeschool mom life is that my homeschool years taught me that parenting is not a thing. Sorry, parenting world with all the books and all the advice. I don't even believe in you anymore. This construct of parenting, that someone can strategize the outcomes for their child like a chess game, as though our kids are products, is only a thing we can create in a book or on a chessboard. Move enough pieces in just the right way and you will end up with a perfect human product, a grown-up with your values, with your ideas, that will do the things you think are the most important things in life and will become who they were meant to be in your eyes. 
Nope. Nope, you won't. It just doesn't work like that. I became a mom almost 22 years ago, and when that sweet baby girl entered my world, I was beyond thrilled. My entire childhood, I wanted to be a mom. I was one of those moms. I always wanted to be a mom. I researched my kids' names, which were planned before I entered adolescence. I read about how to cook before I was allowed to cook in my family kitchen. I learned how to organize my days with my kids. I was even given a full-time live-in nanny for four teenage kids when I was just 19 years old. Thank goodness that didn't work out because I cannot even imagine what that story would have looked like in the end. But I planned for those four teenage kids. I'll tell you, girlfriend, their day was fully scripted by me. You're welcome. Thanks to God for not allowing that story to be part of my life. Also, I researched gardening and created meal plans, and I even learned how to design and decorate houses via the Sears catalog. And in the years before I deleted parenting books from my life, I read all things parenting. Parenting books gave me ideas on how to create a grown, competent, independent, and relatable human being. In real life, those formulaic intentions and ideas did not work like algebraic equations. Though I carried and grew five human beings inside me, birthed four of them, and kept each of them from endangering themselves, some were more difficult to protect than others, my role as mom was not about creating, shaping, and forming those human beings into anything. What I have ever so slowly come to understand about my mothering role is that I was placed in my children's lives to nurture them, validate them, listen to them, lead them, encourage them to feel what they feel and walk alongside them despite my incompleteness and theirs. I've learned they were placed in my life to learn from and they were placed in my life to learn from me too, just not via a strategy. I wish someone had told me that I could only prepare by learning to be a relational human being myself and to accept that I could not figure out all of that in time for my first child. Oh, I wish I could have. I still do indeed wish I could have, but that was never going to be the plan. The mothering role is a role where I've been chosen to be part of another human being's life and that smaller human being will grow up and learn right alongside me. And the seventh and final thing that I've learned about living my best homeschool mom life is that I did not have a vision for my life outside my homeschool mom role, but I needed to. My only vision was to provide and support other people in what they needed. I knew that I needed to be kind and serve others, especially my kids, because that is what a good mother should do, right? Of course, I was continuing on the search for activities and learning opportunities for my kids. I was on an endless search to make their childhoods marvelous, remarkable, memorable, beautiful. I did not consider who I was outside that homeschool mom role. To quote Amy Otto from the Homeschool Compass podcast, did I have a seat at the homeschool table to learn and become me, become more me? Two. If someone needed me and felt compelled to tell me, I started with their needs. I was on it. 
Because I didn't begin life with security and equilibrium, I was always grasping for validation, for someone to tell me I was okay, but I didn't know how to do that within myself. And so when I became a homeschool mom, I took on that valued role with a nurturing vengeance. So I had to decide who I was, then how I wanted to show up for my family and myself on purpose. I've learned since that when I was intentional about developing and nurturing myself, I brought the best of me to my family and that I could more closely address what my family needed. So though I began homeschooling with the notion that I was to nurture my kids with decadence, like those that order a caramel frappuccino quarter sweet with whip but not milk whip, just oat whip with sprinkles but only sprinkles on the left side and in a cup but no name on the cup, just my initials and oh, make it half hot. Well, I learned that I needed to nurture the nurturer so I could nurture my homeschool kids and live my best life too. I'd love to hear from you, homeschool mama. I'd love to hear where you're at in your journey to live in your best life. And if you'd like to join me for coffee, by the way, I drink two single shot cappuccinos most mornings. Well, then you're invited for coffee. Join me at the Homeschool Mama support group twice a month. You'll find that over at the Patreon support group, patreon.com slash homeschool mama self-care. Not only can you join me for coffee, but you'll be supporting me in the creative work I do here to encourage and support you. Until next week, I hope you and your homeschool kids can turn your homeschool challenges into your homeschool charms. You got this, girlfriend.